So I'll begin by saying that a few weeks ago I, I said something that really struck some people in the Sangha, and I've been thinking about it since, and so the, I'll read this sentence. The most impactful faith is being faithful to the tender truth you hear in yourself. And so that's on the quote sheet that was requested that it was on the quote sheet a couple of weeks ago when I said it, but it's on the quote sheet now. Um, and I've been thinking a lot of that, so I'm calling this talk, It's you could call it believing in oneself or being faithful to oneself, that sort of thing. And I think I'll begin by saying that we live in a very head-centered culture, a culture that overvalues the head, overvalues words. And so there is a, a kind of self-confidence that is very much a head-driven, you know, let me tell you how confident I am. I'll explain all the reasons, you know, like this kind of thing. Um, and that alone is, is really a kind of house of cards because as soon as that confidence encounters any kind of core insecurity, it collapses, you know, and then either has to become more vulnerable or, or go into denial or something like this. And so I'm, I'm interested not so much in, the, in a very loud, verbal, head-centered kind of um, belief in self, but, but a more quiet, grounded belief in self. I'll say that Carl Jung talked a lot about the psyche having this, this natural inclination of moving toward wholeness. And in fact, for, for Jung, even the mistakes we make, you know, Freudian slips and other kinds of mistakes are, are ways that part of us are, you know, despite our conscious efforts, are trying to get to a more whole place. He, he used the term compensatory. The, the logic of the psyche is compensatory. You know, whatever part that I'm pushing out of the psyche or not living out, that's the part that the psyche that is claiming my attention or knocking at the door, you know, this sort of thing. And so often a, a quiet voice in us, a quiet voice that we can start to, to apprehend in meditation, is something that is, um, you might say, a first presentation of an edge of growth for us. And it's very interesting to think about, why is it quiet? You know, it's, it, most likely it's quiet because of some trauma earlier in life. Because at, at some point earlier in life, it was given the, the, the message, you know, it's not safe to speak these, this thought. It's not space. It's not safe to have this feeling or to, or to unfold in this particular direction. And it's interesting, last week I used the metaphor, and I'll use this metaphor again. As some of you know, I'm a, a classroom teacher during the day. And in any classroom, there are some really loud personalities. You know, I teach teenagers, you know, and so there's, there's plenty of loud personalities, but there are also quiet personalities, you know. 
and and part of the trick of teaching is to you know you have to let the loud personalities you know have their say but creating those those opportunities when the loud people have already had their say and you're creating room so that the quiet people can also have their say you know and we really have to do something similar in the psyche you know we're all very familiar with the loud voices in our psyche like we know those you know and part of meditation is quieting those down so that we can hear the quieter voices and a quiet voice in us it needs it needs faithfulness it needs faith And this is a funny word, this word faith. I mean, even in a Christian context, it's a funny word because its meaning changed so profoundly during the Renaissance and after the Renaissance. After the Renaissance, faith meant the reason that you believed in God. It was sort of this, this you know, sort of this, you know, plugged in as this justification for the thing that you couldn't justify, you know. Kierkegaard talked about the leap of faith. You know, it becomes it becomes a, a cognitive thing in a way. Originally, in, in early Christianity, faith was about being faithful to something. That early, you know, someone would go to the early Christian community, have a powerful experience there, and then walk away back into the you know the decadence of the Roman world and try to be faithful to what they had experienced with the, with the Christian community, you know. And so it's a fascinating question, you know, just what are you faithful to in your life? You know, it's it's a it's a it's a deep question for all of us. What are we faithful to? Um And of course, being faithful is about action. It's about the choices we make as we live. Um, our core being is not particularly impressed with words. Really, no part of us is impressed with words except our head. Our head can be bedazzled by words, you know. But the rest of us doesn't really care about words. Our core being wants to know how are we living? What choices are we making, you know? That's how we really impress. That's how we show faithfulness, you know? And this word confidence etymologically means with faith. That's what the the word means etymologically, you know? So what would it mean to live with a true kind of confidence? That is, with a true faithfulness to the way one one feels one ought to live, you know, faithfulness to, you know, the core beliefs of one's heart, you know, faithful to one's core intuitions about about how I should be in the world. You know. And a related question is, what are we committed to? You know, what do our commitments look like? You know, 
also a very challenging question, you know. I mean, a lot of the the Buddhist texts were written by monks who, at some, you know, formative age, probably teenage age, took a lifelong vow and they meditate eight hours a day or something like this. And that's their commitment. Like, that's a life of commitment, you know. Now, of course, we're living, you know, lives in secular America, but what kind, what kinds of commitments do we have as we walk through the world, you know? If someone were, you know, if someone followed us with a camera, what commitments would they see, you know? What would it be like if someone followed us with a camera? Would we like that, <laughs> like that film or not like that film, you know? It's an interesting question. So part of what impresses the quiet voice within us is, is when we trust it and when we live out the way that it's suggesting that we should live. Um, and sometimes even to get it to speak, we really have to practice not only a deep listening, but a deep allowing. Um, You know, and sometimes this is true even with a, an external other who is particularly quiet. You know, it takes more than just ordinary listening. It takes, it takes a kind of allowing, a, you know, almost embodying a sort of invitation. You know, whatever you need to say is fine, that kind of thing. You know, so what are you willing to allow in yourself? And of course, the tricky thing is that if this quiet voice is, in fact, an age of growth, it's going to change us. And it's probably going to change us in some uncomfortable ways, you know. And are you willing to allow something that makes you uncomfortable, you know? I mean, you know, obviously, we all want growth. and We all want, we all want the output of growth. We don't necessarily want to go through the process of growth, you know, this kind of thing. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. I'm embarrassed to say there are so many people here. I didn't photocopy enough copies for everyone. Maybe a couple people could share. So I'll pass that around. The Zoomies all get their own electronic copy, of course. So I just shared it in the chat. So the top is the the quote that I read earlier. And the next one from Mengza. Mengza, sometimes also known as Mencius. Um, Mencius is the number two guy in the Confucian tradition. He's, uh, he's sometimes called the second sage in, in Confucianism, the, the first sage being, of course, Confucius himself. Men- Mencius is really the part who brought, he's really the guy who brought a heart quality to the entire Confucian tradition. I'm a big fan of Mengzi. So he said, 
The 10,000 things are all there in me. And there's no greater joy than looking within and finding myself faithful to them. From Bastami, the Sufi. All this talk and turmoil and noise and movement and desire is outside of the veil. Within the veil is silence and calm and rest. From the the great Zen master Dogen Zenji, really in a a quote very similar to to Mengzi, when the self advances to the 10,000 things and confirms them, that is called delusion. When the 10,000 things advance and confirm the self, that is called awakening or realization. The great alchemist Paracelsus said, That which the dream shows is the shadow of such wisdom as exists in man, even if during his waking state he may know nothing about it. We do not know it because we are fooling away our time with outward and perishing things and we are asleep in regard to that which is real within ourselves. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, What lies behind us and what lies before us are small matters compared to what lies within us. Frederick Douglass said, quite simply, The soul is that within me no man can degrade. You know, and in that sense, it's very interesting question. You know, have we contacted the part of ourselves that no one else can degrade? The poet Yeats said, It is so many years before one can believe enough in what one feels, even to know what the feeling is. A couple for Herman Hesse. There is no reality except the one contained in us. That is why so many people live such an unreal, unreal life. They take images outside themselves for reality and never allow the world within to assert itself. He also said, Within you there is a stillness and a sanctuary, to which you can retreat at any time and be yourself. Khalil Gibran said, Your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. It is the bitter potion by which, by which the physician within you heals your sick self. Therefore, trust the physician and drink his remedy in silence and tranquility. Henry Miller said, If you have not found heaven within... It is a certainty you will not find it without. Dag Hammarskjöld, a wise man who was Secretary General of the UN, the more faithful you listen to the voice within you, the better you will hear what is sounding outside. And only she who listens can speak. Vernon Harris says, We stand every day and every night in the very presence of a power so incomparable as to make the senses real. And yet happily this power, the intelligence behind all the marvels of the summer sky, is a benevolent one. The man who pays attention will hear deep within his soul a quiet and friendly voice saying this and so much more is yours to share. Rollo May said, Finding the center of strength within ourselves is in the long run the best contribution we can make to our fellow humans. Albert Camus said, 
in the depths of winter, I finally learned that within me there lay an invincible summer. Thich Nhat Hanh said, Peace is all around us, in the world and in nature, and within us, in our bodies and in our spirits. Once we learn to touch this peace, we will be healed and transformed. It is not a matter of faith, it is a matter of practice. William Bridges said, Genuine beginnings begin within us, even when they are brought to our attention by external opportunities. And I think he was talking more in a business context, but it it works in a spiritual context. Bruce Lee said, Be like water making its way through cracks. Do not be assertive, but adjust to the object, and you shall find a way around and through it. If nothing within you stays rigid, outward things will disclose themselves. Empty your mind, be formless, shapeless like water. If you put water in a cup, it becomes the cup. If you put water in a bottle, it becomes the bottle. Put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Carolyn Mace said, We often hesitate to follow our intuitions out of fear. Most usually we are afraid of the changes in our own life that our actions will bring. Intuitive guidance, however, is all about change. It is about energetic data ripe with the potential to influence the rest of the world. To fear change but to crave intuitive clarity is like fearing the cold dark night while pouring water on the fire that lights your cave. An insight the size of a mustard seed is powerful enough to bring down a mountain-sized illusion that may be, that may be holding our lives together. Truth strikes without mercy. We fear our intuitions because we fear the transformative, transformational power within our revelations. The poet David White asks very simply, are you willing to be shocked by who you find within yourself? And his, his good friend John O'Donoghue said, in each person there is a point of absolute non-connection with everything else and with everyone else. This is fascinating and frightening. It means that we cannot continue to seek outside ourselves for things we need from within. The blessing for which we hunger are not to be found in other places or people. These gifts can only be given to you by yourself. They are at, they are at home at the hearth of your soul. And Adyashanti said, If in the deepest place within you, you want and desire the truth above all, all else, even though you go astray in a thousand different ways, you will find yourself somehow again and again being brought back to what is true.